Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Luke 15. And the last time we looked at the parable of the persistent friend, the parable of the widow and the judge, and the parable of the good father, that really exemplified and explained what prayer is. You know, you come to the faith, you talk about, we talk about prayer, it's in the message, what does it mean? Is it memorized prayers? Is it talking to God? And it is, it's talking to God, it's communing with your creator. And that was a really good message to get especially because prayer affects every single Christian. There's not a Christian alive or has gone to be with the Lord that prayer did not affect. So I encourage you to get it for free if, that's what you, if you've missed it. Uh, this morning we're going to be in the parables of the lost. It's a two-part series. Uh, this Sunday we're going to be in the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and next Sunday the parable of the prodigal son, which even unbelievers are familiar with. They've heard of it. Um, they have an inkling about what it is, but you know, it's, it's an interesting concept. We are born into this world. We are born in, into the flesh. We're born with a sinful nature. And according to Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So until what Jesus says in John chapter 3, until we're born again of the Spirit, we're born again of the Word, um, we're dead spiritually, you know, and, and this might be a shock to some. If you haven't accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, uh, you're not born again. You're estranged from God, and people will say, but I, I feel God. I, I relate to God, I'm, you know, and your emotions can trick you. The truth is, the Bible says, until we're born again of the Spirit, we're estranged from God. We're all prodigals, and that's why these parables are so powerful because it helps us to understand who is God? What is my standing before God? Well, where am I going to spend eternity? And the beautiful thing is that the choice is ours to be a follower of Christ, to be a, a, a son or a daughter that's come home, or to just stay out there and hang out there in the world. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. It's available to everyone. That's the blessing. So we're going to look at this in three parts, jumping in, in verse 1, chapter 15. It says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him, Jesus, to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes, the religious echelon, murmured, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he, Jesus, spoke this parable to them, the religious leaders. He's kind of diverted here. You know, Jesus would often teach, and the masses, because he's God. You know, the, the, his words were so powerful. His concepts were so freeing. And we'll talk about the whole religious system and how some of that spirit is alive and well today, sadly enough. So Jesus speaks a parable to them, the religious leaders, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep... If he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. 
And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. So the first out of three is parable of the lost sheep. What precipitated this barrage of parables? The lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son. One after another after another, Jesus speaks about these parables. What do they mean? Well, on a typical day, sinners, you know, people who knew that they were sinners, would come and listen to Jesus because in their heart they really wanted to change. And many times the religious leaders would tag along because religion was becoming a business. And that's a complaint that we hear today. So the people stopped following religion. Even the uneducated had enough sense to know that something was wrong. And the religious leaders try to follow Jesus. Instead of growing and learning about God and maturing, they tried to discredit his messiahship so they could get the flock back. Right? And these religious leaders, well, they found the sinners loathsome and criticized Jesus for welcoming them not realizing that they themselves were also sinners. You know, we, we do well, and like I said in the beginning, in the opening, we do well to understand our standing before God. And even after coming to Christ, we're still sinners. We're still in this fallen state. It's not going to be like that forever. But we are, and we need His forgiveness. We need salvation. So what did Jesus do? Well, He tells a bunch of stories, basically to make the parallel about how much God loves when lost sinners come back to him. And repentance is key, change. Well, there are some today that say they want God, but it's almost like getting into a relationship with somebody and having all these rules and all these barriers. How far do you think that's going to go? Some people have the same idea with God. Well, I kind of want God. The idea is interesting to me, but I don't want to give up anything. I don't want to change. Well, that means that you don't want to repent either. It doesn't work. And I will say this, that you can change. You can change. The Bible talks about being a new creature in Christ. The Bible talks about leaving the old man. It's an emblem. It's a, it's a figure of the old life behind and becoming a new person. You can change. We can change. And I, I say this especially for those that are, feel that they're trapped in addictions. And you might be told that you can't change. And you're always going to have this condition, and it's not true. It's not true. You can be free. And I'll tell you two reasons why. The second reason is better. But the first one is the neuroplasticity model about the brain, which is an incredible organ that basically serves you. And when you understand that, you can get it to do incredible things. It can change the pathways in the brain, the, the habits, the neuron pathways, the neural pathways, the way the neural... Neurons dig into the brain and make new pathways. It's, it's actually quite fascinating. Um, Dr. Mark Lewis, The Biology of Desire, speaks about this, being a former addict himself. Even better is the power of the Holy Spirit. So you do have physical things that can help you, biochemical, right? Bi- biological, structural. But also, you have the power of God, who can change things. If he could walk on water and he could change the weather patterns, he could make dead people rise again, he can change you. And, and really, it's, it's how much with the free will that we've been given, how much we want to open the door to our lives to let the Lord in. It's up to you. 
Love frees someone. It doesn't hold them captive. God in his infinite power will not hold us as slaves or captives to him, forcing us to love him. It's a choice that we make. And for some reason, he uses fallen, sinful people like me to be, come up here and tell you the good news. I don't get it, but his ways are very different than our ways. The Bible tells us that we need to seek God with all of our heart, and we will be found by God. Jeremiah 29:13. All of our heart, not half-hearted. Well, I prayed once. And I'm done with God. I've heard that. Wow, do you apply that to relationships in your life? Tell me how long those relationships last, if that's what you've applied. You know, this is God we're speaking about. So the parable has to do with... Now I'm going to go back and forth. You're going to say, Pastor Joe, you're confusing me. <laughs> I'm not trying to. I'm just trying to follow what the, how the Lord taught. The Lord would speak about things on the earth. People would get into the stories, and then he'd make a parallel to spiritual things. What's going on in heaven? Oh, there's more joy in heaven seeing one sinner that's saved. Wait, we were just talking about sheep. But that's the way Jesus helped us to connect to, this, to the next world. He used things we could see in the world to connect us when we had an understanding to see what was going on in heaven. Incredible teaching. And we would do well to follow his teaching. So I'm going to speak about sinners coming home to, to God. I'm going to speak about even sometimes sinners on this earth that have been estranged from their family. And we pray for them. And we pray that they would come home and come to their senses. So we're going we're to look at a lot of different levels here. But everyone in that community understand they either knew somebody or they were a shepherd or a sheep tender or they, they owned sheep. So they would get this. Now, Matthew 18 tells the same story, but a little bit more detail is added. And it says that the sheep was straying this one out of a hundred. He was straying. And you know what? People tend to stray too. There's a lot of really incredible uh, parallels between sheep and people and how they behave. Okay? The psychology of sheep, if you will. You know, I remember, well, it was last Sunday, uh, Elder Bill, the children's ministry, came up and he gave his testimony. He spoke about receiving the Lord at nine years old and then in college he just completely strayed. And then when he came back to God, he never left again. That solidified it. Who can understand why we do the things that we do? But there's, there's a, a parallel, too, in the church, right? That's why the church is analogous to a flock, sheep in a flock, the, the shepherd being Jesus Christ, the under-shepherds being the people that God has entrusted to lead the church for a time. And the further the sheep stray, the greater a chance it will hurt itself, either by breaking its leg, and this happens in the, in the real world. You know, I, I, I watch, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of in a rural part of New Jersey, and uh, I watch the deer. I mean, I go out there, I'm very careful. I don't want to twist my ankle into the woods and the, the ravines, and the deer is just, how do they do that without breaking their legs? But sheep aren't as agile. They go out into the wilderness, it's very easy for them to break a leg, and then they just lay there, uh, uh, just bleeding. Can somebody help me? Not very bright. So they could either break a leg or predators such as wolves can come and, and, and kill them. Right? As a pastor, I've seen some that kind of dabble with God and dabble in the world. Dabble with God, dabble in the world. I've, I've had the unfortunate experience to find some that have strayed into the world and they died. And I'm talking about young people. So it's, a, it's a, a horrible thing to see. It's so important that they 
that we've got to be careful with the whole straying thing and knowing somebody. And the Bible talks about you know, bringing a person back into fellowship with God and saving them, so to speak. You know, God calls us to do that sometimes. And we try to do that too as a policy in the church. You know, somebody's a new believer and then they disappear. You know, can somebody, you know that person, give them a call, text them, you know, Facebook and whatever the, the case may be, try to get a hold of them. And I'll tell you this too, that you know, I liken the world, listen, I, I didn't know the Lord growing up, although I was in a, a Christian denomination, so to speak. And, uh, you know, I went to college, I started, you know, dabbling, you know, doing things I shouldn't have done, alcohol and partying and all this kind of stuff. And um, to me, I liken looking back at that time as I was living in a dumpster. You know, the dumpster was painted to look nice, it was sparkly. If you held your nose or put a clothespin on it, you could eat the food in the dumpster. And I'm talking about spiritually. But I came out of that dumpster when I came to the Lord. And the dumpster to me is the world. You know, I was Oscar the Grouch. I was in my own little dumpster, you know, with the, with the garbage pail lid on my head. But I talk to those that uh, are in the world or those that have a fascination with the world. And I say to them, you seem to want to crawl into the dumpster that I crawled out of. Well, why would you do that? You know, it, it's sad. But the world doesn't offer us anything. It certainly doesn't offer salvation. There's safety in numbers. There's safety in the flock. And I'll, I'll tell you on a side note, I guess it's the law enforcement officer in me, but I just look at our society. And you know what really saddens me? I think that in our society as a whole, and very few people are talking about this, our young girls are at risk. We live in a culture of Miley Cyrus and Madonna that desire to sexualize young girls, to, to teach them that their parents are squares and to leave the home early. And I tell you, 25 years as a cop, I've often had father-son, father-daughter talks with young people. They listen, sometimes they'll listen to somebody other than their parents. And it's my job to frighten them and tell them how scary the world is out there. But the statistics show that runaways are more likely to end up in prostitution or sex slavery or some type of horrendous crime. You know, we see these things all the time. I'll just give you a statistic because I looked it up. A very reputable source, the National Center for missing and exploited children, just in one year in the United States, 18,500 runaways. That's staggering in this country. It says that out of those 18,500, one in six, either confirmed or unconfirmed, were likely victims of child sex trafficking. It's horrible. Horrible figures. Why? Because it's the world system. It looks cool. The videos look cool. You hear the music. It's mesmerizing. But there's a subliminal message to pull, especially, and boys too, but young girls away from their families. And they become victims of the culture that we're in. The culture that we're in is toxic to our faith. It's toxic to our young people. You need to be praying for them, even if they're not your kids. Pray for the teen ministry. Pastor Vinny and Maria see a lot. But Jesus tells the religious leaders, let's go back to the, the story at hand. He says, as much, it's interesting, Jesus is speaking to them. He's saying, basically, as much as you guys want that one sheep that you lost to come back, God wants all humanity to come back to him. Let's put this in perspective. So it's funny, the, the, the people, the, the religious echelon, sometimes treated animals better than they treated people. They looked at people as throwaways, but oh, that one sheep, I got to go find them. 
You know, he's got wool that I need. He's got milk that I need. Maybe your kid, you know, developed an affection and it's like your pet, that one particular sheep. I got to go find them. But then when the people came to Jesus, the lost sheep, they criticized Jesus. These people, they're, they're no good. They're garbage. Well, God doesn't see people like that. Unfortunately, others do. Other fallen humans. It's a shame. You know, if you can talk bad about somebody and hold other people down, by comparison, you try to make yourself look good. It's a horrible practice. But let's look at five or four points to this. Number one, the man owns 100 sheep, but he's heartbroken that one strayed. That is 1%. So consider this the next time you think you're sitting here, it's your first time in church, it's your first time being exposed to the Bible. Next time you are tempted to think of yourself unworthy or a throwaway or whatever, you ruined your life. God said, even 1%. I believe that if the story had a million sheep and one walked away, God would try to find that one lost person. A billion. That one lost person. So next time those thoughts creep into your head and you start to think you're insignificant, consider the parable. And that's the point. You know what I'm saying? Two, the man goes after the sheep to find it and bring it back. Okay? And he does this in many different ways. The message you're hearing this morning, whoever you are. There's a lot, I'm looking at a lot of faces. I don't know your stories, but you do, and God does. The message could be the, the way that God searches for you, the word. He could use an evangelist in your life, He could use a guest speaker, the person who told you about God and maybe coming to the church this morning. God has many different ways that He does to find people. Some in persecuted lands like Iran and North Korea, God comes in through visions and dreams because the government shuts all media down that has to do with Christianity. God's still going to save those people in those countries. Three, the man finds the sheep, lays it on his shoulders, and brings it home rejoicing. Why is it on his shoulders? You've seen the, the murals, right, of the, even Jesus with a lost sheep, you know, or the shepherd, the different pictures. Two reasons. Either the... the the sheep got injured, and the shepherd has to carry the sheep. And let me, I'm going to switch back now to the world again. If you read about animal husbandry and shepherding, which still happens in maybe remote parts of this country, but definitely across the seas, a problem with the wandering sheep, sometimes the shepherd makes a clean break in the sheep's leg, something that will set and heal easily, but he has to break it. As painful as it is for him to do it to that poor animal, to stop the sheep from wandering for its own good. This really happens. And then I know the animal people would go, oh, listen, I'm an animal lover, I get it. But they would go nuts reading this stuff, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and then what he does is he, he takes that sheep every... These sh the shepherds are in good shape, let me tell you something. They walk, they run, you know, they're physically strong. It's just what they do. So the shepherd then puts the sheep on his shoulders and everything he does, he's got the sheep hanging off of him. Two legs here, two legs there, in his ear once in a while. <laughs> but this is what's going, this is reality. And the leg starts to set. And what happens between the, the shepherd and the sheep while this is going on? There's a, a bonding that takes place. If the sheep is very young, it's called imprinting. The sheep smells the shepherd. He gets used to his smell, perceptive sense of smell. He hears his voice, his heartbeat. You know, when we talk, if you have a lower voice, you, your, your chest, your, th your th uh, thoracic, uh, it vibrates. They can feel the vibrations of the owner. And the sheep, over time, as his leg is healing, he starts to bond with the shepherd, hopefully preventing in the future, a great percentage, 
of that sheep not straying it again. I'm, like I said, I'm really a big animal lover. My wife and I have rehabilitated many animals. <laughs> Somebody brought us mallards once that were little babies that were abandoned. And his beautiful, gorgeous mallard, I called him duckweed. He was my, he was my mallard. And he would be in the pen, and every morning I would open the pen, and I'm like, duckweed, duckweed. And I'd get excited, and he'd start quacking, and I'd start to run away from him, and his little feet couldn't catch up with me. Then I heard behind me, <laughs> he would open up his wings off, I'll catch you, he was saying to me. And he would fly, and he would circle around my head, quacking the whole time. He was my duck. I missed that duck. You know, <laughs> duckweed. I have pictures of him, real cute little guy. Almost caused a traffic accident twice, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> he did tend to fly a little low. People were like, what's going on? You know, that was my guy. So Jesus would use what he knew in the animal world to make a parallel to the human world, right? Turn with me to Luke 20, two verses, 17 through 18. In Luke's gospel, it says, He, Jesus, looked at them and said, What then is this that is written, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Now that's, Jesus is referring to him. It goes all the way back to Psalm, uh, to the Psalms 118.22. It was a messianic prophecy before Christ came to the earth. And it continues, Whoever falls on that stone, meaning Jesus, will be broken. But on whomever it falls it will grind him to powder. And that means two things. Listen, at the end in judgment, we face Jesus one or two ways. Um, we face him as our Lord and Savior, which is great. We, we're guaranteed entrance into the kingdom. Or we face him as the judge because we've resisted God's way for the propitiation of our sins. We've resisted God's way of salvation. We've stepped literally over Jesus to continue in the world. We'll face him as our judge two ways. But it's interesting because I look at this and I've taught on this. You know, Jesus is, he's the rock. He's the cornerstone. We can fall on him and be broken. And you've heard the expression, a person who has to come to rock bottom before they look up and say, all right, Lord, I'm ready for you. We're so, we're like those sheep. We're so stubborn. We're prone to stray. We're prone to wander. We're prone to, oh, this looks like a good path. We don't see the wolves lying in wait for us. We don't see the ravine. We don't see the slope. Like sheep. And I don't get offended because I'm talking about myself too. And, and kind of like Elder Bill, you know, I, I, I walked away from God and I, I, you know, heard the preaching and heard the evangelist. Eventually, when I came to him and I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior, I never looked back. And I would never go back. The world has nothing for me. But the scenarios are, are very clear. And you know what's interesting? Here's a third option. You're ground to powder, being broken, or three, just come to the Lord. <laughs> sometimes we, we I, and it's amazing, God doesn't get insulted. Oh, I know I'm your last choice, but I love you that much, and I still sent my son to die for your sins, because that's what we do. All right, just, I'm going to go to church. I'm, I'm going to read. I'm going to pray, but let me just do this first. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. You know, we, we try all these things first. That's going to make it work, and then God. Uh, that might have been me. I, I didn't really hit rock bottom, but when I started coming to a Calvary and hearing the word, I'm like, oh, this is pure. This is, I've never heard this. This is amazing. And it did something to me inside. So I didn't necessarily, I wasn't one of the ones that came to him at rock bottom because I thought 
my partying was great, although it was destroying me, but I didn't see it. So, folks, we don't have to wait till our legs are broken. It could be today. Today could be your day. Today is the day of salvation. Praise God. We'll see at the end of service. Sometimes we need to be carried. Romans 5, 6, I love this. For when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. We think we're this and we think we're that and we're you know, Facebook heroes and Snapchat heroes, but you know, people have their own blogs and they say whatever they want and they, they aggrandize themselves. It's such a narcissistic society. But you know what? When we were without strength as sinners, we couldn't save ourselves. Christ died for the ungodly. It's how much he loves us. Amazing. Romans 5, 6. Fourth in, in this parable is the man calls his friends and neighbors for them to rejoice with him. There's an expression, love seeks, joy finds. I found the sheep. Could you imagine that shepherd and the 99 are in a safe place and he goes out to find a straying one and he's walking for miles and it's getting dark and he hears, eh. I didn't practice this, by the way. You know, <laughs> He's like, I know that, bleat. That's my sheep. And he runs and he's in the thicket and he finds the sheep. And he's like, yes! And he, he doesn't beat the sheep. He puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. And he calls everybody, I've been looking all day. It's a great parable, isn't it? I love the way Jesus could tell these stories. And I'll just read 7 again, verse 7. It says, Jesus says, I say to you that likewise... There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Amazing. So the camera, so to speak, if this was done in a movie, would focus on shepherd and sheep, and all of a sudden Jesus, he pans it to heaven. Something's going on down here. Something's going on up there, and it looks pretty good. Heaven loves when one sinner repents. And what is repentance? It's change. We decide at some point in our life, it says, you know what, I know, and I have a self-directed life, I'm a self-made person, I thought all those things. Bought my own house when I was younger, dated the girl I wanted to, bought the car I wanted to, I was so free. I was free. I was chained. And then I said to myself, this is God, he's been, he's been after me all my life, why am I running from him? So I decided, it was a change of heart, everything started to change. It didn't mean I became perfect, I'm still not, ask my wife, but I wanted to give God more of the reins in my life, from self-directed to God-directed. Now, does it mean we become sinless? Absolutely not. Don't let any preacher, teacher tell you that. We're still sinners. But over the years, we elicit a positive change. We start looking less like the, the world that's against God, and we start more looking like the qualities of Jesus. Hopefully, we reflect him. We exude him. If a man rejoices over one found sheep, how much more will God rejoice over one found person? Keep that in mind. One, one, one. In a, in a world full of close to 8 billion people on the planet, we're talking about one, one, one. Insignificant, you say, but God says that's a soul. I made that person. I want them, I want them to come back. One. Incredible. Verse 8, he continues. Last few verses for the morning. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and seek diligently until she finds it? 
And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Sound familiar? Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So too, the parable of the lost coin. Jesus uses yet another example of things that they could identify with, and so can we some 2,000 years later, right? Aren't we always losing stuff? I do this, I don't know if it's an age thing. I can't find my keys. I can't find my wallet. Oh my goodness. I can't find my phone. Things I got to take with me when I leave the house. You know, my wife bought this. It's almost like a, a, a molding, a, a statue. It's metal and it's a bunch, it's like five, six cats and their tails make a hook. So when we come in the house, we put our car keys on the cat tails. That's what we call them, the cattails. Shame on us if we don't put the, the key, the, the ring on the cattails. You know what I'm saying? My wife is like, where's my keys? I'm like, did you put them on the cattails? Obviously not. I'm asking you where my keys are. You know what I'm saying? This is our conversation at home. Sometimes my wife will actually say, do you know where my lip liner or my mascara is? Like, I promise you I don't use them. Look. See? Nothing on my hands. <laughs> I know, I know, the young people are going to tell me, there's an app that you can get, and you can get these little tags and put them on everything, and your phone, it's like a Geiger counter, you can find all your stuff. I prefer to use brain power until I can't use it anymore, so thank you for the advice. <laughs> so, but getting back to the, the parable, <laughs> Jesus is speaking about lost things. And this woman had ten silver coins, and she use, loses one of them. Like us, she tears her place apart, my translation, because that one coin is very important to her. Why? Well, back then when a woman got married, and we still see some of these things in remote cultures, she had 10 silver, beautiful, you know, silver coins. They not only were precious uh, monetarily, but they also they were sentimental. They would either often wear them, they would uh, hang, very pretty, I've seen pictures they would put them as a headband and they would hang down over the forehead or they would use them as a necklace. This was similar to our wedding ring. So you understand why this is important that she wants to find the one out of the ten. Maybe one fell off the chain. Some see lighting the candle and looking as a picture of the light of the gospel illuminating the world, the dark corners of the world until it finds that one coin. And when I share the gospel from the pulpit or out in the street or as an evangelist, it's the same thing. Some people, and, and I can tell you how many times I've heard this, uh, this testimony from the Gideons, they've actually had people that gave the testimony about it. They went to a hotel room to take their life, and they saw a Bible on the table and started reading it, and they didn't need me, they didn't need the evangelist, they just found it in the Word, and God led them to the Scripture they needed to be led to, and they put the gun down over the knife and they became saved because they understood God mes God's message of love. It's pretty impressive. So the candle you can look at as a picture of the light of the gospel shining in the dark places to find that lost person. And again, there's rejoicing. The same theme. Verse 10, the angels of God rejoice over a sinner who receives salvation. Now certainly the Father rejoices, the Son, the Holy Spirit, but the angels of God also rejoice at the prospect of a sinner receiving salvation. And this is why when we give the altar call at the end of service, 
I don't say, it's like, like the movies, I don't have a, a placard that says applause. When somebody comes forward, one of you starts and the rest of you join in, you clap. Because you're excited too, because you're taking on the qualities of Christ. You see somebody come forward for the first time to receive Jesus, and as much as they're having a great time, and there's a hoot nanny in heaven, you're excited as well. Look at that person. Because think about it. When you walk down this aisle, especially if you're up there in the balcony, it's a long walk. And it takes a lot of courage. But it's also something that God has stirred in your heart that you want. You don't know what to expect. They could be in the church for the first time. They don't know all these other people. They don't know what we're going to do or not do. They just know that they want God. So it's an excited thing. Now, here's the principle. The principle is we always follow God, right? God leads, we respond. This is one of the rare, it might be the only occasion where heaven responds to something that happens here. Very unusual. Not that we control God or manipulate God, but when a person gives their heart to receive Christ for the first time, they're born again of the Spirit, what you just did caused the response up there. That's powerful. (laughs) That's powerful, and this is contained. It's just very exciting. It really is. So Jesus is saying, and just I like to do this. I like to put myself into the story to imagine what the people were thinking. Here you have tax collectors, thieves, prostitutes, throwaways of society coming to Jesus. Mm, It's water for their thirsty soul. And you have these nasty religious leaders, self-righteous, haughty, they were usually in bed with the politicians. They were, you know, they were the elites just saying to Jesus, how could you be the Messiah? These people are garbage. How could you be the Messiah? And you could picture the sinners kind of watching the exchange. You've seen it. With their head hung low. My wife and I came to a Calvary for the first time and saw everybody singing with their hands raised and we thought, we don't belong here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We knew we were sinners, but we also didn't know that they were sinners too. Thankfully, they made us feel comfortable, so otherwise we would have left the church. But this is what's going on. Jesus is sticking up for these people. They have no voice, they have no vote, they have no money, they have no influence, and Jesus was sticking up for the whole lot of them and criticizing the religious leaders for treating them like that. That's powerful. That's powerful that you can't buy. The lost coin and the lost sheep were out of place because they were lost. The sheep belonged with the flock and the the coin belonged with the chain with the other coins. And the lost sinner belongs in God's family. Amen? The shepherd sees one sheep is valuable. The bride sees one coin is valuable. And God sees one lost sinner who comes or even if they don't come, still trying to draw them because he finds that one lost sinner valuable. It's only going to get better from here when we cover the parable of the prodigal son. I encourage you, if you know somebody that maybe is close, they're ripe, or maybe you've been, I don't know, intimidated, co-worker, family member, friend, asking them to come to church. It's, it's today, it's tomorrow, it's highly evangelistic in nature, it's highly designed. I didn't do it. Jesus did it. The scripture is designed to call the lost person home. And again, it doesn't mean that you, I was the lost person 25 years ago. Just don't, don't be ashamed. Don't feel bad about it. We are naturally estranged from God when we come into this world. Satan doesn't want us to have this knowledge and understanding and enlightenment of what the truth is and where our standing is spiritually. You see what I'm saying? 
He doesn't want us to understand soteriology, the, the understanding of how to be saved. God seeks out lost sinners from the very beginning. In Genesis 3, did you know this? If you've read the Bible, you know this. When Adam and Eve sinned, God knew it. He probably felt it right in here. His children were deceived into believing what Satan told them about the world and, and everlasting life and becoming their own gods. These were God's children. So every morning when God would come into the garden and greet Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, that one morning things were different. Adam and Eve hid themselves. And God said, where are you? Where are you? Adam, Eve, every morning we come together and we fellowship. Where are you? Does it mean that God was so old and senile that he couldn't find them? Where are they? Like I lost my keys? No. He meant where are you in your heart? I feel something's changed. From that very point in time, since the first people sinned, God has been looking to call them back home. And then he sent his son in his time to die for our sins. And he does. He seeks out lost sinners through evangelism, through the word, through visions and dreams, through the Holy Spirit, through God's word. I want to encourage you. If God is calling you this morning, what are you waiting for? Respond to him. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.